Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary, and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and I'm Editor-in-Chief of The Cut. On this show, I get to talk to people that we love and admire, or some that we just find interesting. We'll explore how they found their path and what maybe have gotten in their way, and how they brought others along now that they've arrived. Hey, so this week we're sharing with you a panel that I moderated at the New Museum a few months ago with artists Miles Greenberg and Salome Esega. Miles is a performance artist and sculptor who's known for using the physical body as sculptural material. And Salome is the director of The New Inc. at The New Museum, and her work explores and critiques the speed in which technology develops. We got to chat a bit about the role that art plays in technology and what that means for the future of art. Hope you enjoy. Um, again, my name is Lindsay Peoples, uh, Editor-in-Chief of The Cut, and I am incredibly honored and excited uh, to talk to Miles and Salome tonight. Um, I want to start with talking to you both about your work, and then we'll talk about some overall industry things. Okay, Miles, I was just saying to you backstage, I feel like your work is so courageous, so brave, and I know that you started really young and kind of set out on your own path. Um, what was your thought process when you were younger that made you really want to go out on your own and really create such innovative work? Hi, thanks for having me. It's always just been kind of intuitive. I didn't go to school. I think that helped. I think performance is something that I was really attracted to and introduced to, lucky to be introduced to at a very young age as a, a medium through which she could articulate an idea without any material necessities. And it's something that's both accessible to a public and accessible to one as a creator. And I like to feel like I have everything I need. And uh, in terms of the courageous part, I don't know, people people sort of say that sometimes, but I, I feel like, you know, I kind of feel pretty firmly that you can never be in more pain in art or on stage than in real life. So it's important and very reflexive and convulsive for every artist to just be vulnerable and turn themselves inside out. How would you also say that you mentally and physically prepare for your performances since they are so intensive of, of your whole being? There's, I mean, like specific things like kind of certain supplements, vitamin infusions, IVs, you know, certain uh, kind of exercise, stretching regimens, muscle retraining therapy. It really depends on the piece. You know, I did this piece called Oyster Knife where I was walking for 24 hours on a conveyor belt. And I'm from Montreal. Um, so one big 
part of our culture is um, Cirque du Soleil. That's like our things that we have like per capita, like the most physical therapists of all time, um, which is great. Um, so I worked with, I still work with um, somebody who, you know, used to be the head touring physical therapist for Cirque du Soleil um, at one point. And she basically would work with um, the choreographers um, at the circus directly of like basically training each individual performer for their specific choreography. So like basically like what we don't really realize about like contortionists and whatnot, like they can essentially only do their choreography, like they're only trained to do that specific choreography. They can't just like, they're not like interchangeable, like for that, for that run of that show, like they're, if they have to bend backwards and bend forwards and do like certain things, they can literally only, you know, like their bodies are like tuned to that frequency for the show and then they have to like be retrained. So like basically I was like specifically a walking machine. Had you asked me to do like one of my other pieces instead the day of like Oyster Knife, I, I wouldn't, you know, like I was like, oh, like my hips were just very aligned for six <laughs> for the six months prior to that. Um, yeah, so it's just, it's like there's a there's a sort of methodology that I, I personally liken to like, you know, the way that any artist will like upkeep their material or instrument. Um, Salome, so much of your work is obviously, you know, creating work that is at the intersection of art and technology. Where is your head at in, in wanting to create work that is so futuristic, but also, you know, relevant to today? Yeah, thank you for having me tonight. So I think, you know, I'm a child of um, a lot, many engineers. I have many engineers in my family who growing up would... Um, while they were learning how to code or while they were practicing software engineering, they would send us, my brother's in the audience, so he remembers this, like they would send us floppy disks of them, uh, of like prototyping games, and we would have to play them and find the bugs and send them back. And I always thought like, oh, you know, this is like not just coding, it's storytelling, you know? And so for me, I was really influenced by the, the ways technology can help you storytell. Uh, but in terms of like, the intersection of art and technology. I like to tell people that I, uh, I am technology tech agnostic. Um, for me, the story and the people in the communities I work within really lead or are driving the work that I make and that the technology um, is supplemental. That's, we look to the technology second to figure out what is the best tool to tell the story. What does it mean when you are bridging those two worlds though? And, and do you think about how communities will actually, you know, take in your work? Is that the part of the thought process when you're creating work? Totally. I mean, I did my MFA at, here at Parsons in design and technology where um, I thought I would like go in, learn how to build websites and then um, end up at, at like a, a big design company and just like build websites. <laughs> um, but then I quickly was um, like the world of physical computing was like busted wide open for me. So that's like all the kind of like kinetic sculpture work that people do playing with hardware. And um, I was just like, why don't people know about this? Why don't people have access to this? And so with a, a group of friends who are nightlife workers and DJs and producers, we started a, a place called Power Plant in Brooklyn almost 10 years ago, and I, I'm an alumni of New Inc, and that was actually my New Inc project. And so for me, I love, Miles, what you said in your first answer about we have everything we need, right? Like, you have everything you need. So um, kind of practicing abundance. Like, a group of us came together to start a nonprofit organization where we were leveraging what access we had to technology and tools through various institutions and bringing access directly to communities in Brooklyn. 
I mean, a question, honestly, for both of you, um, since so much of this is about technology in your work as well, how has that affected your appreciation for artists or being able to find new people to work with or find new methods of working? I think I just want to kind of like jump on something that you said, because I think it was really cool, um, kind of about how you start more, and I'm really paraphrasing, so kind of tell me if I understood this correctly, but like starting more from an idea and more from a place of like, you know, kind of starting for, from what does the work, what does the idea kind of necessitate, as opposed to like working backwards, I think is something that's so important when it comes to choosing, you know, not only what mediums to work with in terms of new technologies, but any medium. And I think that the mistake that a lot of artists make is, um, you know, or any kind of cultural producers is is using like a material because it's available, because it's new, because it's sexy and it's, you know, shiny and like just for the sake of it, I know that personally I'm far less attracted to conversations around like art and technology and what is it, you know, like like I'm more attracted to like, okay, you know, I want to make bronze, you know. Um, I use a 3D scanner in the sculptures that are downstairs um, because it was the most appropriate tool for what I wanted to do, um, but not because I wanted to show off that I know how to use a 3D scanner and that they exist in this year, which I think like that seems to sit at the core of a lot of your instincts, which I think is really badass because like so many people just like make like, I can't tell you how many like VR experiences, things like that, that I've just like, I've put on like a VR headset and been like, that should have been a video. I didn't need to sign my name on a list, wait 15 minutes, loop back around and come and put something on my head. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like that's so, that's, I don't know, you just, you said that and I'm like, I feel like that needs to be like at the core. <laughs> no, I wanted, I actually was going to ask you what you both also think about um, so many people creating work in metaverse or AI is obviously super popular. And I mean, we, we wrote something on the cut the other day about people sending off their imagery and coming back um, and, and getting obviously different anime versions. Um, but what do you, what do you think about that? Because I think so many people want to participate in it for the sake of it, but don't actually um, find meaning in it behind that. Yeah, I mean, the Lensa stuff is really funny because people are very quickly submitting their their selfies to a platform without knowing kind of the consequences or what will happen to those images later and, like, what we're training and how that company then will benefit from, like, all this learning that their tools are doing. Um, I don't know. It, for me, it comes back to maybe, you know, what Isolde said in my bio about building consentful technology. I feel like um, people know that something is wrong, right? Like, to the point that, like, my aunt will be like, it's the algorithms, right? Like when your auntie's saying something about the algorithms, we know that there's like, there's kind of a, a mainstream um, top level knowledge of something being wrong, right? But I think then it's like, how do we dig into a second layer of um, like media literacy and tech literacy so people really understand the details of how these things and how specifically our data moves, you know? And I guess because we have so many ways of experiencing work, how do you both want people to experience the things that you're creating like as a, as a performance or in creating art what is what is your preferred way or, or is a way that you haven't done yet that you want people to experience a performance um at least for me um i make art in a way that i feel most comfortable looking at it um i don't love like interactive stuff you know uh i, I find it weird when performers talk to me so I don't do that <laughs> you know it's just it's really kind of like 
um, I'm sort of always working from a place of like, where do I feel most available to receiving information? Um, and sometimes that's not through new technologies. Often that's not through new technologies. I think of the Louvre, you know, I think of the Met, I think of walking around alone with my headphones in, being like the awkward art kid who didn't go to art school. Um, <laughs> like, staring up at these things that feel ostensibly eternal, that they're like these, these sort of figures that stand there, that you know that they'll be there forever for you until your dying day. You know, the winged victory of Samothrace, I can see it the day I'm born and the day I die, and it's not gonna change, it's not gonna move. And that's the kind of art I wanna make. That's, that's how I want my art to feel. Um, the fact that I use performance feels like kind of incidental to the fact that I still feel like I kind of achieved that in a way um, through my body and then, you know, eventually through sculptures, through video. I always look at it through the lens of like, that's, that is the most um, reasonable expectation um, of, that I can have of my audience because it's, it's, what, it's how I would care for like myself in, in a space of cultural consumption, I guess. Um, and then I use that to say whatever I want, you know, but yeah, most often it's these, like that's actually how I got into duration, wasn't because of this sort of transformative qualities of it, albeit that kept me there, but um, it started out, you know, my first performance was like three hours because I didn't know when and who was gonna show up. I didn't think anyone was gonna show up. <laughs> so I was like, I'm gonna do this for three hours so I can maximize the visibility of this. And I was like 17 in like an empty loft in Montreal that I borrowed and I did it like, yeah, invited like a hundred people on Facebook. Yeah, I don't know, it's, it's sort of like this, this thing of like, what is the easiest way to get to the thing that you want to, you know, the way that you most readily experience it? How about you? Yeah, that's interesting. I'm trying to, I'm trying to articulate this because I think there's an analog. I, I'm hearing you say, you know, you don't like interactive work, but um, when you're there present in your body for three hours waiting for an audience to engage, the piece isn't like, or to, to, to be witnessed, right? Like in some ways, right, the piece isn't complete until they like, are there seeing you, right? Like that's, that makes the whole thing. And I think about like my work that yes, incorporates technology and is interactive. Like I did a piece eight years ago that was like installed in the sky room um, where I would like hack to connect and was like tracking people's shoulder movements. And it was a video game that taught you how to do the real Harlem shake. And so, um, cause at that point DJ Bauer came out with a song and that people were making those like weird viral videos or they were just like dancing for like frenetically. Um, so I was like, we're going to teach you how to do the real Harlem shake. And like the piece just stood here on a monitor with a connect and a big red button. And like nothing happens unless you are there to engage. And I guess that is considered interactive. And the, but it just remind there's a parallel. I don't know how, how you would name that. That's really cool. Um, and that's an interesting proposition. It depends on the reasons you make art, I guess, as like a creator, right? Like I, I don't really, I don't actually really make art to like talk to people that much, you know, or teach people. That is a totally different, I think, impetus than like building a statue and leaving it there for, you know, a hundred years or 12 hours. I think it's just about your impulses and how to best feed those things. Because I think that's, that's something that I would totally, I mean, I would totally do that. Because um, I don't know how to do the Harlem Shake. 
No one's ever won the game, so yeah, no, no one, no, no, no one knows how to. <laughs> As you were saying, I was like, wait, do I remember how to do the hard? <laughs> Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Miles, I want to talk about your exhibit here um, at the New Museum, The Shadow of Spring, which investigates the phenomenon of vibration and how it's capable of generating collective transformative experiences. What does this exhibit mean to you or what do you want people to take from it? Yeah, um, shout out Vivian Kakori, my counterpart, and shout out Bernardo Mosquera, who curated and introduced us. Um, you know, we actually didn't meet Vivian and I, like IRL, until a week before we opened, um, which was really fun. And we, like, the first day we met, we, like, recorded. I don't know if you guys know this, but the, uh, the soundtrack downstairs coming out of the speakers is all made of instruments that she made out of the sounds from the insides of our bodies with a digital stethoscope. So it was like, hi, nice to meet you. Let me get your guts. <laughs> we were both sort of approached with this idea simultaneously of um, vibration and, like, the kind of we just started talking very broadly and very broad strokes about the sort of commonalities um, in collective vibratory sort of experiences um, in like churches and sex clubs, sort of the jumping off point. It's a lot, in, a lot of proximity. And Vivian kind of took it in one direction, I took it in another direction. You know, we, we sort of talk a lot about cross-pollination as opposed to, you know, co real collaboration, because again, we, we didn't actually physically, you know, interact with each other's work at all. But we, we found like a mutual planet where I think we wanted to really kind of articulate um, a space that felt both intimate and sort of chapel-like. And, you know, that gallery is so unique at the back of the, at the, back of the space. It's very narrow, it's a lot skinnier than it looks. So you're, you've got very little space to work with, but um, you know, that kind of gives you a little bit of a nestled feeling, but you are literally visible to the street. So the challenge we gave ourselves was to find a way to trigger bodily sensation to make people feel their bodies and feel their fluids and their movements and their viscera while being so completely vulnerable and observed. And that's hard to do, like on the, on Bowery. But yeah, I think when we talked about vibration, immediately I thought about water and the idea of kind of pouring oneself out, and it was quite serendipitous because I had just done a performance called Fountain One, where I'd like literally turned my body into a, like a human fountain for seven hours, sort of inspired by Hermann Nietzsche's work, loosely. Um, 
and we 3D scanned it with this technique that I kind of invented with like modified 3D scanner that um, doesn't autocorrect itself. So it just like registers like every glitch and movement. It doesn't kind of like do all the smart stuff that <laughs> makes it so expensive. <laughs> um, and so we got these like really aberrated forms and it's like my way of interacting with this technology that felt genuine and authentic and just as kind of um, uh, spontaneous as, as performance itself. Um, there needed to be kind of an element of mystery. So, you know, there's so much data that gets accrued through this process that you don't actually know what the scans look like until like they, they take like two days to buffer. Um, so you just get all these random forms that you're not going to know until the moments pass. Um, very much like performance. So it's, yeah, so these forms actually just came out very naturally through like a conversation between me and this glitchy technology um, and like a seven hour gesture. Um, and I feel like, I don't know, I just wanted something that felt like it was going to be performing. Um, Salma, I want to talk about um, now that you're directing the New Museum's Cultural Incubator, what was it like to go from a, a member to, to leading the group and, and what are your goals in that? Yeah, you know, um, I have a really long history with the program. I was in third cohort, um, came back as a mentor. Um, and then when I was uh, working at Ford Foundation as a funder, like New Inc was like what we looked at for what was happening in arts and technology and, and new media work generally. And so to come back as director, I feel like I have uh, like a full 360 of the program. And it really feels, I think, um, artist for artist, practitioner for practitioner, practitioner, really horizontal. And I think, you know, in terms of like vision and dreams, you know, moving through coming out of a pandemic, wherever we are in this, um, we're having really critical conversations about artists and uh, artists as workers and our relationship to um, l labor and creative economies and economies at large. And so that's really interesting to me as a, you know, a cultural incubator whose mandate North Star is to think about ways cultural practitioners can build sustainable careers. We're having really rigorous and um, dreamy conversations about collectivity and cooperativism and um, it just gives me hope, I think. And what do you feel like the problems that you guys are really trying to tackle or what are you specifically hopeful about in changing, obviously, and in increasing diversity in the industry? Yeah, I would say that most, if not all, of the folks in our incubator program are impact and justice driven. And so you see projects that are um, trying to change uh, our like local and national housing policies. You have people who are really engaged in land rights. You have people who are thinking about um, inclusive tech. I mean, it really runs the gamut because we have uh, like five different tracks. And I like to say that, you know, New Inc is a home for uh, the misfits, the people who don't neatly fit into any one discipline. And so for me, like, I, I feel like I have the best job because I get to like, go talk to what is about 100 people in our program this year who are all thinking about how to change the world in completely different ways, you know? I always have to ask, because I find, uh, especially in, in coming from Teen Vogue, that young people always really want this kind of advice. So what do you say when young people come up to you and ask you, like, I want to do what you do, I want to be creative, what do you, where do you tell them to start? Miles, I'm looking at you first. I mean, I always feel really bad being like, leave school I mean that's I mean like I don't know I'm like I don't feel like the I've done like a, a couple of lectures recently at universities which has felt um you know like I, kind of odd uh so I'm like here's what I did I I don't know if I'm a good example 
<laughs> you are a good example. Am I? Okay. Um, I think it feels very cliche, but follow your instincts. Uh, just, you know, you know what's right. And also one really good nugget that I feel like I taught myself recently is um, that I still have to kind of reteach myself every so often is like, there are many right answers. There are a lot of right answers. And sometimes you have only right answers in front of you. And that should spark both anxiety and wonderment. I think you're the best example. <laughs> so I think the advice I often give young people is that um, there might not be a name for what it is that you want to do yet. And I think, you know, follows what you just said, right? To follow your instinct and follow your nose and do what you're passionate about because um, the fields will catch up with you. Um, where are you guys at on your views on social media with everything? Because we also have to talk about this because I feel like so much of conversations around Twitter drama, Instagram drama, all of that, um, and also just getting your work out there. And how do you feel as, as an artist and creative in that conversation? Well, I've never had Twitter, so I feel fine. <laughs> I, I feel like you're better at... No, no. I mean, I am so bad at social media. I, don't, I also like, let go of my Twitter a couple years ago. Okay, what else? Are you on Instagram? I'm I, like Instagram is my business card. Uh, okay. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, that's I'm definitely on Instagram. Yeah, I feel like it is a good business card. Do you do you show works in progress or final work too? I show works in progress once I've um, finished the work. Um, I'm very cagey about things going out before. Uh, it, it, Instagram takes away a little piece of the soul of whatever you put on it. So um, you know, like. I just, I won't be like, this is happening, you know, no. Should we, should we go through them? Are you on TikTok? <laughs> I'm not. Um, also, my, I mean, mostly because my algorithm is so bad. I haven't taken the time to just like, like teach my algorithm, um, my DNA yet. So like, I just like, I'm, I'm Canadian. So I just get like random, like, and I'm from Montreal and they just give me like, if you live in Toronto, I'm like, I, I you know, if I don't start, it's okay. Um, my boyfriend, however, has an excellent algorithm that like is very geared to like both of our sense of humor so whenever I'm with him I'm like I scroll through his it's like a nice filter I'm like it's like having a dog I'm like I'm not ready to have one but I'm ready to date somebody who has one <laughs> how about you are you on the TikTok I'm not but today we hosted a TikTok workshop for new ink members um cool and I learned a lot but let's see let's see maybe 2023 is my year on TikTok I don't know I'm like I'm I'm a funny like, I, it's the first platform I've felt, I'm 25, it's like the first platform I felt like a little too old for, but then not, but then like, you know, I don't know, it's weird. I had Snapchat, that was my thing. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Uh, Snapchat? Mm-mm. I know. Well, I saw, I, <laughs> I was chatting with a 12-year-old recently, he told me Snapchat is where it's at, and also Discord. You know, I was chatting with like a, like a, like a 19-year-old who is like part of a little group of friends who they all, you know what they're like favorite show is right now they're all watching Desperate Housewives Whoa. I know Whoa. <laughs> it's an excellent these children show. <laughs> wait which Desperate Housewife are you both Did what you was her name um you have to look I haven't watched Desperate Housewives in a I'm long like, time I'm like I don't know any of their names anymore no <laughs> okay Brie Vandekamp <laughs> the scary redhead <laughs> I will look it up later and DM you 
Um, but I do want to ask, um, in speaking of next year, of like, what are what are some things that you guys are working on or looking forward to to making or or part of the conversation for next year? Um, well, this year I, I like made this um, giant monster truck that looks like a rat that houses um, a sound art piece with different black researchers who are talking about risk assessment tools and algorithms. And so this truck has been um, traveling and will hopefully come to New York next year. But I'm looking forward to packaging all of the audio uh, as part of like a, a like a mixtape. And I have a couple friends who are DJs who are going to produce some some sounds inspired by um, the interview. So I'm excited about that. That's awesome. So the performance that I just did on Sunday was a piece that was commissioned in Paris for the Louvre. Um, they just got a new director of programming and they very kindly invited me and then 19 other artists to do some kind of a video work uh, inside of the museum, which was kind of a dream come true. Um, because like I said, it's like one of the places that I feel like taught me how to make art by teaching me how art moved me. Um, and I got to perform inside of one of the spaces that basically inspired my whole practice. So um, I knew I had to do something kind of, you know, ambitious. Um, so I wanted to embody St. Sebastian in the way that all of the great masters and the, you know, the artists of, the, of a certain era all reinterpreted over and over the same kind of biblical figures and Greco-Roman, you know, gods and deities and figures and whatnot. Um, I wanted to kind of do my rendition, my portrait of St. Sebastian as this kind of queer icon and um, figure that had like this, you know, that has this very profound kind of ecstasy and whatnot. Um, so I actually made these arrows that I stuck through, <laughs> had somebody <laughs> stick through my skin. I like got a lot of advice from like my kind of like queer art uncles like such as like Ron Athey and Franco B who were like way more into body art. I've never done anything past my skin. Um, yeah, so that's coming out. I performed at night while the museum was closed. People could see through the windows a little at like Joseph Boys and that's coming out in January. I think we are out of time. So thank you all so much for coming thank tonight. You. Thank you Salome, thank you Miles. Uh, thank you New Museum. In Her Shoes is hosted by me, Lindsay Peoples. Our producer and editor for this episode is Taka Zen. Our engineer is Brandon McFarlane, and our executive producer is Hannah Rosen. The Cut is made possible by the excellent team at New York Magazine. Subscribe today at thecut.com slash subscribe. I'm Lindsay Peoples, and thank you so much for listening. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.